This is the Darcy Giroux Podcast, episode 11. Today my guest is Keith McIntyre, the leader of the Libertarian Party of British Columbia. We'll be talking about the negative effects of lockdowns and vaccine mandates. Mr. Keith McIntyre, welcome to the Darcy Drill Podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty fantastic. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, why don't you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm currently the leader of the BC Libertarian Party. Uh, just uh, had my one-year anniversary. We had our AGM uh, last weekend, or the weekend before last weekend, and uh, we have a mandatory leadership review. So Sandra and I received 96% approval. So uh, here we here we go, continuing on leading up to the 2024 provincial election, and of course any by-elections that um, come along the way. Uh, in my day job, I run a software consulting company, and in a past life, I uh, developed pandemic simulation software for the Center for Disease Control that they used for several exercises, and we actually helped uh, help guide their response for the H1N1 pandemic. Um, so as you can imagine, the last two-plus years, I've been uh, very outspoken and against uh, government restrictions and mandates and everything that's been done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's part of why I wanted to have you on. Uh, the other part is that it's always good to talk to you. Um, so when I asked you what you wanted to talk about, you sent me a video that you guys, the uh, BC Libertarian Party, had made uh, regarding vaccine mandates. And although restrictions are lifting, many people are still heavily impacted by these mandates. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that video and the inspiration for making it? And expand a bit on your previous work with the Center for Disease Control also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the BC, BC has very, very uh, strict mandates, especially for employment. So there are still uh, thousands of people that uh, have been fired or are, are on unpaid leave uh, for not getting the vaccine. Even at this point, uh, when it's pretty clear that that is bad policy, even the federal government union said that uh, mandates are, are now a bad idea. <laughs> They were always a bad idea. Uh, but BC, I think, is maybe the only province that actually followed through with firing uh, their government workers in all areas, not just health care workers, uh, for not getting vaccinated. And I have, uh, you know, I have a friend. She just had a baby. She didn't want to get it. I, I have another friend. He uh, was hospitalized twice uh, by flu vaccines. His doctor said, don't get it. Lost his job. Um, so in BC, um, political beliefs are protected in the Employment Act. Uh, so our party president at the time, Clayton Wellwood, uh, wrote a really fantastic letter uh, outlining libertarian beliefs and how um, uh, forcing injections uh, is, a, is a violation of our core beliefs. You know, I think in the letter he said you can't slap someone on the back, never mind threaten to pierce their skin with a needle under threat of losing their job. Um, so we got some news around that and ended up writing about 70 to 80 letters 
uh, for people that were being threatened to lose their job. Unfortunately, most of them had no effect. Uh, the unions didn't care. The um, government lawyers didn't care. They, in some cases, they just said that's not a valid political belief <laughs> and just ignored it. Um, you and I know that libertarian beliefs are they're very, <laughs> they're very very core uh, beliefs, and the you know to threaten. Uh, force is just wrong. I had an RCMP officer threaten that if I was going five kilometers faster, he would take my car away. So I better watch myself. And like, you don't have to threaten. So you guys, you guys made this video. It's it's pretty good quality. I enjoyed it. If you can just tell us a bit more about the video itself and the inspiration for making it. Yeah. So the letters were the inspiration behind that. Uh, having heard so many stories, it was just heartbreaking. And I, I felt it was important to get a message out, um, not, you know, about whether the vaccines were a good idea or not, because to me, that's irrelevant. Uh, the use of force is the wrong thing. And I thought it was important to get um, some people who who just made a personal choice and have them share their stories and how it affected their life and um, get get that message out so it was actually quite hard to get people to commit to going on camera and we had several that were interested but then the lawsuit started flying around so we lost a few participants um, but I'm really really proud of the five people that stood up and were able to talk you know we had Courtney who got fired from a, a local winery for uh, <laughs> potentially she might be around customers but she never was uh, the CT technologist, Morag, her story, honestly, if, if what she saw in the Salmon Arm Hospital, if that had gotten out, uh, she, she saw an increase in uh, especially 40 to 50-year-old women who had recently had the vaccine coming in for uh, embolisms and stroke symptoms. And in one case, a woman uh, was completely paralyzed but fully conscious. And, and so for her, she thought... This is concerning to me, and I'm going to make a personal choice, and I'm not going to get this vaccine. Um, and now she's she's on permanent sick leave. Uh, yeah, a dentist friend, uh, uh, a young mother who was threatened that her husband wouldn't be allowed in the delivery room for the birth of their child because he wasn't vaccinated. Um, yeah, and then uh, yeah, and the woman from the homeless shelter. She's around a bunch of unvaccinated people, and and again just just this sort of madness and focusing on do this or else. For sure, yeah. Well, two two things that I liked a lot about the video. Uh, one is that there were people from Salmon Arm, which is the town I actually went to high school in, by coincidence. And uh, number two, I appreciated your shirt that said privatize everything, <laughs> which gives me the opportunity to plug... Uh, my episode nine with Walter Block, where we talk about privatizing the roads and highways. So listeners can go back and listen to that one. There were times during the lockdowns where there were protests organized by medical workers who were against these mandates. And I knew nurses who were in attendance. And the mainstream media reported that these were just anti-vaccine crazies who were harassing hospital staff. Um, can you tell us about the failure of the media, particularly in BC, to get these stories correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to do a quick plug too. I'll send you a link I can, you, where you can buy that shirt. It was a custom design by a friend. Okay, <laughs> was, perfect. Love it. That's a great shirt. It's a great shirt. Uh, yeah, the media has been frustrating uh, throughout this. And and again, it, it very much, our media has been decimated over the last few decades to the point of where it's just it's just clickbait and how fast can they get the article out so they get enough clicks for their advertisers and um, and a propaganda machine and I've talked to the media and I said you know you're just you're just all blatantly printing the same government press release without any challenge and and they say well what are we supposed to do <laughs> like how about your job <laughs> how about like you know when Horgan first announced the uh, vaccine passport for restaurants he lied six times in the <laughs> press conference like blatant and utter outright lies but the media just just continues to print them and so I've been working with uh, some of them um, you know they're all frustrating in their own way but we have a unique situation in the Okanagan with a media outlet called Castanet and so they've never had any of the government funding and and they're about as independent perhaps as you possibly um, could get in NBC. They've printed some bad stuff too. Like I remember when they suddenly were starting to say people were taking uh, veterinary medicine, and I said, "Why are you printing that?" And I said, "Well, that's what it is." I'm like, "Yeah, but did you know all these other things? Like it's used in hundreds of millions of people for other things, Nobel Prize." No, I didn't know that. So why did you print that? Like, what is the mechanism where all these articles are getting disseminated? And obviously, it's the Canadian press and the Associated Press, and and they get uh, they get paid to disseminate these articles. So, you know, I just encourage them to take some time and to think. The hospital protest, um, you know, it's it's funny. They'll look for for one little incident to to discredit the whole thing. It was entirely peaceful. Um, there was a media report that someone spit on somebody, uh, which didn't happen. Uh, that they were blocking entrances, which also didn't happen, um, and and it's you know I had I lost a few friends over that one because I supported it, and and what's interesting is people didn't understand it. If if you're on the periphery and you see in the news there's a bunch of people protesting at at a hospital, um, and like there was a sign that was up, and a friend of mine uh, challenged it because he's like, well, nurses went from heroes to zeros. And one of his nurse friends was very upset. And they're like, oh, those protesters are calling us zeros. And I'm like, no, that's not what's happening. That's a nurse holding up that sign who is about to lose her job, who now feels like a zero. And But the media isn't going to get that message out. Um, that was a very, a very effective protest. Um, I was protesting outside of Castanet one day. I, you know, I never... <laughs> imagined I'd be on the back of a truck yelling at a media outlet, but um, this, is, <laughs> this is, I'm really quite a quiet guy. Um, this is the world we live in, and I end up, ended up being able to go in for an interview because that was the day that uh, Bonnie Henry extended, extended the vaccine passport till the end of June. Um, thank, thankfully, they removed it a while ago, so I've been able to enjoy, well, there were places I could go. But I, I went in and, and I, I was, they actually published a video of me. In the front half of the video, the Kelowna Chamber of Commerce um, director was saying, well, thank you, Bonnie Henry, for giving us advance notice. And we sure hope by July that we'll be able to open and run our restaurants properly. 
And they published me in the last half of the video saying that businesses need to band together and revolt and stop checking these passports because that's the only way this is going to stop. And as then the government doesn't get to tell you how to run your business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a absolutely. little bit of a contrast. Um, tell us about the protest at the Soyuz border cro- crossing and, uh, and the time you spoke there. Yeah, well, there was uh, trucker convoys going all across the Okanagan every Saturday, like across most of the country uh, leading up to the Ottawa event. I actually ended up having uh, a very bad cold <laughs> during most of that, so <laughs> I didn't I didn't go to many of them, uh, but I did go to uh, the big one in Osirius w- uh, after the Emergency, Emergency Act had been passed. Uh, and there was about, it was a beautiful day. It was about 1500 people there. There was families. It was a festive atmosphere. It was just, it was just people finally feeling comfortable to go somewhere, um, and, and meet and discuss freedom and to say that they're frustrated. And, uh, I ended up speaking, uh, in front of about 1500, 2000 people and, and, you know, I've, I've speak, spoken at other freedom rallies before too, but you know, because they've been going on for so long, and again, the media spun them in a certain way. Some people were uncomfortable going there. So, to meet people that hadn't been involved in the freedom movement and are, you know, finally hit that point of frustration and felt comfortable going out and speaking their mind, it was really quite inspiring. And the police were there. We didn't block the border. Uh, I talked to them and asked if I was going to get arrested because <laughs> technically it was illegal to protest at a border at that point in time. And they're like, no, you guys are great. It's a fe- festive atmosphere down here. We're we're having a good time. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how the media is spinning these protests as, as uh, racist and misogynist and all these different things. But it really was quite quite a great event. I actually ran into a uh, fired healthcare worker um, at ANW after a, a Sikh gentleman who had worked on a COVID ward, had COVID and had been fired and hadn't worked in several months. And, um, and he asked me actually about the, uh, the race thing. And he said, like, well, you know, why, why is it mostly white people at these protests? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me <laughs> like o- Okanagan, it, you know, it, it is actually just a very high percentage of, of, uh, of white people, but there was, you know, it certainly wasn't a racist protest. Uh, it's just interesting how how the media can, well, they're calling everything racist these days. It's the easiest trick in the book. Like Trudeau was just in uh, Surrey, and I think his fundraiser didn't have a good enough turnout, and uh, he was scared of the protesters, so he said uh, they were saying race, racial slurs, and so he canceled his event. Um, you know, it's just becomes very easy for them to call everything uh racist <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's it, it does it and that's too bad um you know i i think uh i i have a theory on uh on bonnie henry that i'll share with you i i actually think you have to give bonnie henry some credit uh because she because she has a very sophisticated hustle going here and, and I'll, <laughs> I'll give you i'll give you an example during the very worst part of the pandemic uh, when every other doctor and nurse and healthcare professional was risking life and limb and bodies were just stacking up in the streets because of COVID, uh, she spent her time writing a book about how great she is, <laughs> and now she's worth millions and she's a household name. 
I guess as a libertarian, uh, I imagine you really have to respect her ability to seize an opportunity like that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> max, maximize your opportunity while you're getting several hundred thousand dollars in salary from the government, plus probably overtime, and you get to hire your own publicist. Yeah, she's really special. I remember at one point when things were starting to open up a bit, she was at the BC Lions game and uh, in a box, and she had a lineup of uh, 100 people lined up waiting to shake her hand and get an autograph. And I thought, well, geez, that doesn't really look like uh, social distancing to me. But <laughs> uh, but she she has, uh, there was a FOI uh, in a publication called thebreaker.news, and I it stuck out to me because uh, it was an article about her spin doctor. And uh, I, I know her, I've met her. Um, What's her name? Uh Nicola Nicola Lambrecht and she used to work for a marketing company called Longview Communications and she'd do work for you know disaster planning for Staples and all these kind of things like you know like the hundred they'd bill out very very expensive work she's very very good at her job and uh, so Bonnie Henry had hired her probably actually still does hire her because I ran into one of her coworkers a few weeks ago uh, it's a small place, the Okanagan. Um, but you know, the marketing departments are running these things. Like in BC, we had this thing called, uh, at the beginning the safe six, you're six safe people. Well, there's obviously reasons why it sounds like safe sex, cause it's going to stick in your, stick in your mind and all of these marketing terms and graphics. And I actually challenged this, uh, woman who does government, uh, propaganda as well. And I, I said, like, I know you're you're doing your job, but you have a choice to choose your clients. And she actually told a story about how her, uh, uh, I was going to just respect privacy a little bit, but someone, you know, a, a, 12, year, a 12 year old who uh, wasn't able to go to restaurants and enjoy their life because they weren't comfortable getting it. And I think it clued into her at a certain point that, that she was part of the reason that that happened uh, by helping the, and of course you can justify it. Somebody's going to do it. So why don't I, and I, I get the money. But um, I think if we, you know, I don't like to talk in winning or losing, but if we want to win on the side of freedom, we have to help people understand how these very, very skilled marketing professionals are manipulating us through the media. And when, once you notice it happening in the media, it starts to have very, very little effect. And then you can kind of just laugh at it. And if enough of us can recognize it, then it becomes um, ineffective. And the amount of money that governments are spending on, uh, on marketing and manipulation is mind-boggling. Right, yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so let's let's move over maybe to the BC Libertarian Party. Uh, tell me a bit about the AGM you guys just had. <clears throat> yeah, our AGM was a lot of fun. It was our first in-person AGM in a few years. Uh, we'd been planning to do it in the interior for uh, some time. Uh, so I was asked if we could host it uh, here at my office in, in West Bank. Uh, which was great. We ended up having just a fantastic keynote uh, speaker, a good friend of mine, Frank uh, Bush, who runs a uh, um, 
a company helping uh, indigenous invest in capital projects and become self-sufficient. And he, he gave a fantastic talk on uh, libertarianism and uh, and First Nations. And so we're in uh, West Bank First Nation, which, um, you know, it's, it's funny. You know how the politicians always do they acknowledge that they're on somebody's land and it's all disingenuous and doesn't really mean anything. Um, I'm actually in the office of uh, former Grand Chief Noel Derrickson, uh, who chose me to uh, open a co-working space in in his office, and he's the he's the chief that negotiated property rights with the federal government. And West Bank First Nation has a very unique uh, agreement with the federal government. It is essentially an autonomous uh, First Nation, um, like practically its own uh, its own principality kind of thing. And they used it as an example, ho- hoping it would fail. <laughs> <laughs> but it became it became wildly successful. So of course they wouldn't allow that with any other nations. But uh, yeah, he he uh, he really stole the show with that one, and uh, um, I'll have to get him uh, to, to record a podcast about that someday. Yeah, um, I'd, lo- I'd love to uh, if you could put me in touch with him. Absolutely. Yeah, and then uh, you know, of course, then uh, a number of libertarians would complain that they had to travel to the Okanagan. We had an online option as well, but you know, the we we want to decentralize the party. It has generally been Vancouver based. That's where most of the people are. But you know, I've been really trying to grow it in the interior, and uh, you know, we can get in the media a little bit easier here. We can get some some attention. Yeah, it's interesting. Speaking of the media, Castanet has uh, agreed to do a piece with our our mandate video. Uh, they're going to do a, an article about uh, just how the mandates have extended uh, in British Columbia and Canada for an unreasonable amount of time. So it's a, that's a big win for us to get to get our video uh, in in some mainstream uh, mainstream media. Um, yeah, and the, you know it's funny with the mandates. I, I get people all the time saying well everything's over what are you guys protesting about and you know i still know dozens of people that can't get jobs and aren't allowed to get get jobs i'm not allowed to get on an airplane my son turned 19 last month and i can't go to ontario and buy him a beer and give him a hug and I've been hammering on my MP about this uh, for for months. I actually got him angry enough to reply to me on Facebook Messenger one time, and and he's like, "Well, do you want politicians making decisions or health officials?" I'm like, "I want you to question it. I want you to take my concerns as an actual pandemic expert, not these ones that the media p- puts out and pretends they know how to do modeling." Um, and I want you to take my call and I want you to challenge these health experts and I want you to ask them, why can't I get on an airplane right now? When I worked with the CDC, they explained how airplanes work and they're actually extremely safe, safer than sitting in a restaurant. They have uh, swirling vortexes of air, uh, fil- filtration that's separate for different parts of the plane. It's all fresh air coming in it's extraordinarily safe on an airplane they said if there was a tuberculosis case on an airplane they wouldn't even quarantine the whole plane it would just be the few people that are sitting around them they'd keep an eye on everybody else but yet canada is the only country in the world that uh that some people can't get on an airplane and fly in their own country it's yeah yeah and and to the point that you're 
MP is asking you, well, who do you want making these decisions, a politician or a health practitioner or whatever word he used, uh, why not individuals calculating risk for themselves and uh, organizations calculating risk for themselves and making these decisions? Yeah, exactly. And this is my message I've been saying from the start is the government shouldn't be mandating anything. What they should be doing is presenting the information in a meaningful way, and then we make our own decisions. If there was a really dangerous disease, we would all just stay home. Yeah, oh, for sure. If it was as bad... If it was as bad as they wanted to tell us, you wouldn't have to force people to get the vaccines. They would they would be clamoring to get them. Which they were anyway. They never had to force it. And yeah, like I had a healthy fear of this at the start with my experience because I know what can go wrong with certain um, <laughs> certain presentations of diseases. So I and with the incompetence of government, I thought, boy, if they don't know what they're doing, this could this could turn real bad real fast. But then after a while you start, well, there's, you know, there should be mountains of bodies in third world countries and there aren't. So probably, probably we're pretty safe. But yeah, again, it, it's, it's the arrogance of government that thinks they know more about me and more about my business than I do. And yeah, some people are going to be unsafe, but you know, there's so much complexity in the world. We don't know if it if we actually made things worse by trying to to lock things down i think i think we did well there's certainly uh, there's no evidence that exists that says the the lockdowns and the mandates it made things better that that evidence just doesn't exist no and and in all the exercises we did with the cdc like locking down the country was never in the conversation unless it was something completely and utterly unknown uh, this this was pretty well known from the beginning what was what was going what was going on so yeah it's very it's been very frustrating being me throughout this and I I I'm seeing evidence that the lockdowns and restrictions have done direct harm oh absolutely now especially in BC I think one thing we want to look at is uh, the state of the opioid crisis. Uh, especially since the lockdowns and the mandates have been put in place. Can you give us your perspective on that? Yeah, it's gone up. I don't have the numbers uh, specifically. Actually, that's another frustrating thing I find with the government, too. They announce the number of overdose deaths in one lump number every month or every week or every day, whatever it is. But they don't separate that. Is it... A 45-year-old man who got addicted to opioids because his doctor overprescribed, and he's shooting up in the basement while his family's upstairs watching a movie. Is it a recreational drug user who thinks they're uh, having the amount of drugs that they're comfortable with, but it's laced with fentanyl, and they die because the supply chain is messed up? Um, you know, I'm not a drug user, but if somebody wants to use it, they should. Uh, they should be able to, but they're not. You know, there was one party in Surrey. I think about eight people died from a bad batch of, of cocaine. But that gets lumped in with with overdose deaths. Um, people hear overdose deaths and they think, oh, well, it's it's the junkies on the street. But that's certainly not the full story. I had an employee that I briefly hired that turned out to have a crack addiction, and he died uh, about a month. A month later, a young guy who the system refused to help because he wasn't bad enough. 
Um, and this has been getting worse and worse in BC long before any of this. But I, I was looking at some stats, and in the video I say um, uh, in 2021, 5,700 more people in BC died than in 2019. That's 15%. That's 15 people every single day dying that weren't dying in 2019. So what is that? Well, one side of the fence will say that's all vaccine injuries. Well, it's part, some of that is. But it's also people afraid to go see their doctor. It's people not getting cancers detected. It's people not, um, well, obesity, alcoholism. I think our alcohol consumption went up something like 12 or 15% in BC over the last two years. So all all these unhealthy, one's just isolation and not interacting. I, I have been lucky with this co-working space i mean it was horrible when i opened it in march 2020 it's actually horrific but i also am lucky to meet people who i'm the first person that they shake hands with in months and sometimes years the first networking event that they've they've been to and it's it's really quite sad seeing them have to snap out of it and remember how to interact with human beings again and can't even imagine what that's doing to people but after that video, I went to go verify those numbers, and they were correct. But January, February of 2022, compared to 2019, uh, 25% more deaths. That, that is concerning. That's not a virus. That's, that's decimation of our society, decimation of our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know myself personally. Uh, that's why I had to start a podcast, because... Uh, <laughs> To try and curb curb my alcohol intake. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You asked about the you asked about the AGM a bit, and we actually I'll I'll send you the uh, new constitution amendments that we passed, and one of them was quite controversial. Um, so we did actually put a separatist um, statement into our constitution, uh, which which then caused a three-hour conversation with a libertarian and me who said he can't be involved with the party if we're going to, um, you know, force you to believe in separating. Um, although, you know, personally, I can see that libertarian beliefs, <laughs> you should be separating from the state at every opportunity that you can. Um, but then I can also see his point of uh, we shouldn't be forcing separation on our on our members necessarily either. So... It actually ended up in a really long and interesting conversation, and I can certainly see both both sides of it. Um, I encourage them to join the Constitution Committee, and we can have some discussion around it. Sure. Can you can you tell us what the statement says? Like, do you know what it is off off by heart? Or I I do not. Okay. I am uh, bylaws and Constitution are not uh, my favorite parts of being part of a political party um <laughs> yeah, I hear you but they, they were well they were well thought out and you know and we did vote on them and pass them um but you know after having this conversation with this one member i i could see i could see his point i can i can see the point of having it in there so then as a leader i'm thinking well was i supportive supportive of it because i'm very much in favor of separating from uh, the Federation of Canada, because like, I'm not a patriot. I don't identify with patriotism. I think it can be quite 
damaging. Um, I think it can be misused by the state to get us whipped into a fervor of I am Canadian and then and then we do silly things that we don't want to do. Um, interesting story. My great, 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 I might have maybe one more great grandfather from Iceland. He actually got run out of Iceland uh, by the king of Denmark because he was uh, writing articles about uh, patriotism causing damage to the citizens of Iceland. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and, he actually, and he actually escaped to Alaska and was negotiating with Ulysses S. Grant uh, to have Iceland essentially move to Alaska. He actually was almost successful in that negotiation, but they ended up mostly settling around Gimli, Manitoba. Wow. <laughs> so I guess I have a long... A long history of uh, <laughs> anti-government sentiments. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Okay. Well, that's uh, well. I'm glad. I'm glad you do have that anti-government sentiment. Uh, that's exactly what we need in the leader of the BC Libertarian Party. Um, I want to thank you, Keith, for coming on. But first, can you give the listeners uh, tell them where to support you and follow you? Yeah, so our website is libertarian.bc.ca. Uh, we have a fantastic amount of uh, content in our blogs. We have uh, a lot of very, very smart people in our party. Um, if any of your listeners are from BC, we're looking for all kinds of help, volunteers. We, we need every every position imaginable so we can keep, um, keep promoting and growing the party. It is growing uh, fairly fast. Uh, you know, we do have... Uh, you know, unfortunately, still a Facebook page. You got a Twitter, uh, BC Libertarian. I'm probably most active on, on Facebook myself, uh, to a detriment. All right, Keith. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, thank you. That was Keith McIntyre, leader of the Libertarian Party of BC. You can find them at libertarian.bc.ca. And to make sure you never miss an episode of the Darcy Drill Podcast, subscribe on Substack. <laughs>